couple weeks ago, actually, here at St. Mike's, I did the wedding of my cousin Kate. And Kate and I are very close. We're like a brother-sister relationship. And I was, I was privileged enough to, to be here to witness and be the celebrant in the, in the marriage that she and her fiance and now husband Jake, who I love, um, took part in. And so it was an absolute joyful night and evening. Even with COVID and all the different restrictions going on, we were able to have this awesome celebration at her parents' farm. And, you know, with family weddings, there's just so much joy when you know the person who's getting married, you're happy for them, getting married to that person and joining their lives to that person. And then you know everybody at the celebration and you can just enjoy and, and be yourself with family and friends and celebrate the people who are the loved one who's getting married. And so that's what it was like. There was a lot of good eating and drinking and dancing, and it was just good times. In the ancient world, and up until today, I don't think there's really a better image for a joyful event than a wedding. What happens at a wedding is two people join with one another and become one. And there's, it's basically the deepest relationship that we can have here on earth, in an earthly sense, right? Is a marriage. A marriage between a man and a woman who give their hearts to each other, give their souls and their bodies to one another. And there's intimacy at the most, at the deepest level possible for any of our earthly relationships. And then everybody who loves those two people comes and they celebrate this intimacy of relationship and the joy that comes with that. Everybody's happy at weddings. It's very interesting then and appropriate that Jesus, of all the different images he could use, the number one image that Jesus uses for the kingdom of God and what he's doing, what his mission is, and what he's trying to accomplish is a wedding, wedding feasts. This is how God describes what he is doing when he becomes a human being. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's what Jesus says to us in the scriptures. We as human beings are not made to be sad. We go through sadness and sad times, rough times, all of us do, suffering. We have different crosses in our lives, but ultimately we are made for joy. It's one of our primordial desires 
is for happiness and life and joy. I have come that you might have joy and have it to the full, Jesus says. And so I think when Jesus uses this parable of the wedding feast, he's helping us understand what the life of God is like. And he's inviting us into this wedding feast. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And this wedding feast image, or the wedding image, is an image of us having perfect unity with God. And just being in complete, perfect relationship with God. And of course, we, we, we get that in its fullness in heaven. And we get a taste of that here on earth as well. And so I just want to read a quote from the Catechism on Heaven. This perfect life with the most holy Trinity, this communion of life and love with the Trinity, with the Blessed Virgin Mary, with the angels, and all the blessed, is called Heaven. Heaven is the ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longings. The state of supreme, definitive happiness. That is heaven. And we get to taste that here on earth. And we do that by living in what's called, in right relationship with God, which is called a state of grace. And so we might say that we're participating in the wedding feast if we are in what the church calls a state of grace. Raise your hands if you've heard that term before, just out of curiosity. Okay. A state of grace, it used to be something that I think was taught to my parents' generation um, a little bit more, but it basically means that you're in right relationship with God. If we go out of a state of grace, we go to confession, and we return to this right relationship with God. We stay in a state of grace if we are going to Sunday Mass, and we're in communion with God at Sunday Mass, where we enter into the wedding feast, right, at baptism. And that's why um, I baptized a cute little baby today, and her name was May, and she had this beautiful little wedding dress on. That's why we put wedding dresses on our babies, baptismal garments. This is alluded to at the end of the parable. It's also the reason that for First Holy Communion, the boys and the girls, when they receive Holy Communion as children, are dressed like they're a bride and a groom. They wear these beautiful little uh, adorable wedding dresses. The girls do, their communion dresses. The boys dress up in their nice snazzy garments suit and tie typically, as though they were participating in a wedding. And what are they receiving? Holy communion. 
And so we are invited to, and all of us here are a part of this wedding feast that God has prepared for us, which finds its ultimate fulfillment in heaven. In the parable, we also get this image of those who are invited to the wedding feast who don't want to come to the wedding feast. Oddly. And there's some violent reactions. You know, you would think if a king, you know, you just even think about it in an earthly sense, the king and queen of England or something, if you were invited to that wedding, you're going to go to that wedding. It's going to be an incredible event. Best food, the best drink, all these prominent people will be there. And just to see and witness what a royal wedding would be like. And so the king in this parable sends his messengers. And some of them are actually killed just for sending the invitation. He dispatched his servants to summon the invited guests to the feast, but they refused to come. A second time, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those invited, Behold, I have prepared my banquet, my calves and fatted cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. Some ignored the invitation and went away. One to his farm, another to his business. The rest laid hold of his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And so the reality of sin, and we would say mortal sin, takes us out of the state of grace. But sin dampens our capacity to be with God, to experience Him, even on an emotional level sometimes. Not all the time, but sin dampens our capacity to understand when God is revealing Himself to us. It messes us up. A good image for this, from my perspective, and I was particularly reminded of it when this line from the parable came up that said, one to his farm, another to his business. Um, I watched recently this movie on Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple. And it's a very interesting movie. It's kind of a character study on this guy. And of course, he was a genius. Um, He was tremendously ambitious. And his life was his career. He used his intelligence and the gifts that he was given to build up this company from nothing to become one of the biggest companies in the world. And the movie actually centers around this relationship that he has between his daughter. And Steve Jobs put so much, or this is how the film portrays it, He puts so much energy into the things, into his own project of this company, that he had no time for his daughter. So they show these kind of tragic scenes where the daughter just wants to chit-chat with him and, and talk with dad and just receive that fatherly care that all children desire and need. And he, it, he just keeps shooing her away. He almost can't stand her presence, the presence of his own daughter. 
His daughter being a direct gift from God for him. But he's ultra concerned with his own little world and his career. And he's turned in on himself. This This is what sin does to us. It turns us into ourselves. When we we make idols out of our, in this instance, Steve Jobs, his career, or we make idols out of being an athlete or out of being a student, and God does not come first, we cannot receive the messenger as well. That's what Jesus is pointing out in the parable. Pay attention. There's nothing better than what I'm offering you. Experience the joy that I'm inviting you to. Come feast on what I have prepared for you. Jesus, we ask you to help us to prioritize our lives and orient our lives toward the wedding feast. Help us through daily prayer throughout the day and through the sacramental life, especially at the Mass and through confession, to stay zoned in to the spiritual life, to be able to see these ways that you're desiring to shower us blessings and help us receive a full portion of the joy that we're made for and that you want to give us. Help us to really enter into prayer, especially at the Mass here right now. To understand what you're offering us through Holy Communion. To stay with you now to the end of our lives, our earthly lives, and be with you at the wedding feast for all eternity. We ask this Through your holy name, Lord Jesus, amen.